Hello and welcome back to Motherhood Interrupted. I'm your host, Kimberly Levy. Today I'm joined by a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Andrea Niles. Andrea is a clinical psychologist specializing in maternal mental health with a PhD from UCLA. She founded Prospera, which is a company that has a mission to reduce all barriers to mothers accessing high quality mental health support. She also is a mother of two and a wife, just a complete boss. And I am thrilled to have a discussion with her today all about what it's really like to tackle postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and a number of other mental health issues that come up for mothers. So I'm super excited to have her here with us today and enjoy listening to her. Please reach out to her if you feel that you or anyone you know could benefit from her services. Her company truly is unique and offers not just therapies remotely, but also practical and tactical tools to help you get through whatever struggles you may be experiencing. And enjoy the episode. Dr. Andrea Niles, thank you so much for joining me here at Motherhood Interrupted. Thank you. Thank you for coming. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Okay. So for the audience, Dr. Andrea Niles is a brilliant, brilliant woman, and I'm going to have her dive into her background in just a moment, but she found me and we just chit-chatted and I'm really excited to talk about mental health issues specifically around anxiety and depression for mothers, which is a huge, huge just thing that happens in motherhood that I think is one of the most unexpected kind of things that we all struggle with. So yes, thank you so much for joining us and bringing this very important mental health topic to light and forward to the audience. Would you mind describing a little bit about your background for everyone? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am a clinical psychologist. Um, so I've been studying treatments for anxiety and depression, basically my entire career. I founded Prospera about a little bit over a year ago. So it's a mental health platform specifically for moms to support moms in their, in their mental health through the motherhood journey. So we support moms in pregnancy and postpartum. And our mission is to remove all barriers to moms accessing mental health support. So things like cost, availability, you know, location, all kinds of things that kind of keep moms from accessing mental health support. We're trying to solve all of that. Um, and so, yeah, Prospera provides weekly one-on-one sessions with perinatal certified mental health coaches. And then we have a digital tools library. It has dozens of tools that are specifically designed to support mom's mental health. And so, through our program, you get to work with your coach, um, you access our tools, we have lots of actionable strategies for postpartum anxiety and depression, postpartum rage, and we can talk more, you know, a lot more about the details, but that's kind of the, the overview. Wow, I love that. So basically, your business that you just created is really just for the woman that needs some kind of therapy plus coaching. So really getting actionable about what to do, depending on what their struggles are. Can you give us some examples as to how a coach might assign you a like homework or a task? How does that, I feel like the, the thing that's most striking about your business to me, besides the niche, which is so important is that you don't just go through therapy, but it's, there's action behind it. 
what can you maybe illustrate some examples of what a session would look like and maybe some coaching that helps people or women that go through sessions with your company? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I I hear pretty often, um, it really frustrates me is that, you know, people go to therapy and they say, you know, I talked with somebody, which was nice, but I never felt like I really got any help or any like actual solutions for my anxiety um, or for my depression. And, and, you know, that tells me that that therapist is not really doing their job to the fullest. And so, um, so what we do is we provide that place to be able to just talk and get support. But on top of that, we have tools that we're basically giving you um, activities to practice between sessions that are tailored, you know, personalized to you, depending on your goals and the challenges that you're facing. And these things are backed by science. I am a scientist by training. And so they are based on the you know best evidence that we have for things that help reduce things like anxiety and depression. So for example, if you are really struggling with a lot of postpartum anxiety. Most commonly we see moms worrying about the health and well-being of the baby, you know, checking the baby through the night to make sure baby's breathing, worrying about, you know, going out of the house, getting sick, those kinds of things. So so what we would do first is try to understand what are the thoughts, the things that are going through your mind when you're feeling anxious. So we understand some of those thinking patterns, we call those thinking traps and then from there, we practice what's called reframing. So basically encouraging you to look for evidence um, for and against your thinking patterns to try to basically um, change or get yourself out of some of those thinking traps. And so that's been shown to be very effective for reducing anxiety. Um, another example is we, you know, if you're someone who's avoiding going out of the house because you feel like I can't handle this, this is too much, it's overwhelming. So what we would do is we'd have you approach that, um, start just take a walk around the block. Let's give you a baby in the stroller and let's just go for a walk around the block. And then from there you kind of build up and then maybe we're going to the local store. Um, and then from there, maybe we're actually going, you know, to the grocery store or target run. So working our way up through activities that we've been avoiding. I love that. Um, I feel like this is just such a hot topic and it's kind of talked about, but I feel like when you're in it, when you have a new baby, you're so deep in it that I don't even know how these women ask for help. I think you almost don't even have time to like address this in some ways, but I think through your business, making it so accessible and, um, you know, really helping, helping women identify and pinpoint those thoughts and just voicing them to someone, just because you're almost like when you first have a baby, whether it's your first or your third or your fourth or whatever, you're just, you're in survival mode and you're so beyond exhausted. And for someone to come in and just kind of support you through those thoughts and then give you little actions like taking a walk, which, you know, it's just so much work to get out of your house. Let's be honest, whether you're in some kind of anxiety state or not, it's anxiety inducing for anybody to have to, you know, get all this stuff together and the car seat. And I just, there's so much to that, but I love that you really take therapy to the next level and really, really make things actionable. And to me, that's, that's something that isn't just fluff. So I just, I think that's a huge differentiator in your business. And I wanted to ask you, 
what are kind of the most common, like if you could boil it down to like the top three themes or kind of um, states of mind that women struggle with, can you highlight a couple of the most common struggles that women have postpartum or even like you said, in pregnancy that you assist with or that you see so often? Yeah, definitely. So so I think there's a lot of awareness around postpartum depression. So I think there's been, you know, major kind of public health campaigns where people sort of have that in their mind. Okay, I'm looking for postpartum depression. But there are a lot of challenges around postpartum that that women don't actually know about that are actually more common. For example, postpartum anxiety is quite a bit more common than postpartum depression. There are other things like intrusive thoughts, incredibly common, incredibly distressing for a lot of moms. Um, postpartum rage or anger, challenges around identity. And then, uh, so so there, there are lots of different things that can come up in postpartum. So to your question about kind of what's the most common, the most common thing we see is postpartum anxiety. And so I hear a lot from moms saying, well, I don't really feel depressed, but I feel miserable. I don't feel like myself. I'm not present with my baby. I'm worried all the time. Um, and so that's one of the main things that I would say we help with. Um, another very common one is intrusive thoughts. And so more than 70% of moms have intrusive thoughts postpartum and intrusive thoughts are these, they're horrible like thoughts or images that just pop into your mind of something terrible happening to your baby. It could be an accident happening. It could also be like you as a mom doing something to your baby, either by accident or even on purpose. And you have these thoughts that come into your mind about that. Um, and a lot of moms go, you know, what is that? Like, I'm, am I going crazy? Is there something wrong with me? I'm a terrible mom for having these thoughts. So that's another thing that we we support moms around. Um, and then and then the third most common, I would say, probably is the postpartum depression, which is the one you hear more about. And that's kind of low motivation, trouble getting out of bed, you know, thoughts of like, I'm not doing a good job. I'm a bad mom. Um, and so I would say those are the, the main things that we support. It's interesting that you say that because one of my girlfriends talked to me, just her kids are now like three and five or something. And she just now told me that she really struggles with postpartum anxiety. And I really didn't know exactly what that was. Uh, I mean, I know about anxiety. I feel like as a mom of three, I have I just live with, I live with a certain, maybe healthy, maybe not level of anxiety, um, adrenaline. I'm not really sure what to call it, but the kids keep me on my toes, but can you maybe share what exactly is postpartum anxiety? Is it just those intrusive thoughts or what else, like what other kinds of symptoms, like maybe I even had it and didn't even know what that really was. Can you explain it a little bit further? Yeah, there's a few different kind of varieties of anxiety, I would say. Um, but the most common one that we see around postpartum is this sort of constant worry about the health and well-being of the baby. Um, so worrying about things like SIDS, um, worrying about breastfeeding, you know, getting enough um, calories, worried about whether something's going to happen to the baby about leaving the baby with somebody else. We have a lot of moms who um, have trouble, you know, giving baby over to someone else and being able to take a break and do things for themselves. Um, so it's, so it's that sort of constant worry about something sort of catastrophic happening. 
Um, so that's, that's probably the most common thing that we see. And then there's other kinds of forms of anxiety. So another form is panic attacks. So you have this sudden abrupt rush of intense fear or discomfort or dread. It just comes on all of a sudden. And then um, oftentimes those panic attacks will come along with this fear of having another panic attack. So you're sort of always on edge or on high alert for another panic attack. Um, there's another kind of anxiety, which is social anxiety. And so for moms, I often see this as like fear of being judged by other people. So if you go to the store and you're worried that, you know, your child is going to start crying and then everybody's going to be looking at you and everybody's going to be judging you and God, this mom doesn't have it together. Um, so that's a, that's kind of a social anxiety. Um, and then, and then we have the intrusive thoughts kind of anxiety that you have this thought come into your mind and then that really terrifies you. Why am I having this thought? What's wrong with me? Am I going crazy? Am I going to get, you know, get postpartum psychosis? Um, so anxiety can come in lots of different kinds of, of forms. Um, and so, yeah, but if you're noticing that you're constantly feeling anxious, on edge, worrying, and you're not present, then that might be a sign that there's something going on there from, from an anxiety standpoint. Got it. Got it. It's so interesting. Cause I feel like I've experienced all of those things, but I don't know that the severity is like enough to classify it as that, but I almost feel like every woman experiences some degree of it, but it sounds like obviously this is a more heightened kind of version of it. So how much of postpartum anxiety, depression, all these different things that you kind of manage, how much of that would you say is attributed to hormones? Like what role do hormones play, if any, in all of this? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, and a question that has been looked at in scientific research, you know, to try to understand to what extent are hormones sort of the cause of this. Um, and I would say that there's some evidence that for certain women, there's more sensitivity to that fluctuation in hormones. So when you're postpartum, you have this really major shift in the hormones, right? Um, and so for some women, there's greater sensitivity to that shift than others. And so for for a subset of women, it could be that the hormone that and the sort of reactions to the hormones are the cause of some of these symptoms. Um, but I actually think that there's more evidence that I mean, not only are your hormones shifting, but your entire life has been turned upside down, right? You you have this baby, your sleep is completely disrupted, you're out of your routine, you're physically healing from however your, your birth went about. And so you have many, many different environmental factors um, that are going to contribute to your mental health. And so hormones is one piece of it, but I think people often sort of attribute everything to hormones. Um which for me is not as encouraging because there isn't that much you can do about the hormones. It just kind of happens, but there's a lot you can do to kind of help your environment or change your environment or change how you think about things or change how you do things. And so there are a lot of things that you can do that are sort of hormones aside that can help with these symptoms. Got it. That's interesting. Yeah. And you know, I feel like to me, it makes perfect sense now, especially that I've been through this multiple times is like, nothing really prepares you for motherhood. And I mean this in a way that like, here's, here's one thing that I think just does not, nobody really tells you this, but I feel like this is a big thing. So 
I'm in a fairly egalitarian marriage in the sense that my husband and I both contribute equally in terms of our careers and the thought coming into kind of with that dynamic, the thought with our first baby was we're going to both contribute equally. And I know how badly so many men want to be able to give and contribute and support and nurture uh, the baby and their wife. But what I think one of the things I was the least prepared for that I don't think people talk about because I think they maybe think it sounds bad or something, but the reality is, is that when you give birth, and this was so shocking to me, when you give birth, the baby wants the mom. And the reason for that is because they know the vision's not great. The baby is basically smelling the mom, hearing the mom's vibration of her voice, her heartbeat, all these kinds of things that they're used to having in terms of, you know, physical, emotional support. You're basically the mom is home and the dad just cannot contribute, not to mention Sorry, not that the dad cannot contribute at all. I'll just finish that thought. The dad cannot contribute equally, like biologically speaking, right? And not to mention if you're nursing, there's all of that, those dynamics coming into play. So there's just a lot of like, I feel like um, almost like nature, like nurture versus nature, like nature wise, the mom is home to the baby for, you know, several months at least, right? The fourth trimester, all those concepts. But I just feel like, it puts so much pressure on the mom in a way that for me blindsided me, you know, as I kind of continued my journey with motherhood, I started to be able to expect it, but the man just cannot contribute equally. It just biologically speaking, and I'm not saying this to disparage men whatsoever. um, I just feel like it becomes this huge burden on a woman that really they were not prepared for, or at least I'm speaking for myself and I've spoken to other women And I just, to me, that is one of the biggest sources of anxiety because all of a sudden you become the main event after you just went through nine months of nine or 10 months of pregnancy. Everyone's pregnancies are different, you know, then you're healing and now you're the one that's on. And it's just, it is a lot of pressure on one person. And I don't know why we don't openly kind of speak about that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting observation and and pretty I would say pretty aligned with my own experience as well, you know, coming from a, a partnership where it was like, okay, we're going to we're going to split it 50-50 and I really similarly I didn't anticipate how hard that actually was going to be. Um so I was nursing, so that basically makes it impossible um for dad to get up in the night because you know you have to express milk one way or the other and then and and I and I feel like the there's some sort of biological pieces that mom is more tuned in to, to baby for whatever reason um, than dad is. And so even if, you know, my partner was going to get up with the baby instead of me, like I would, I would be up. There was no way I was not going to wake up. So, um, and that wasn't the other way around, you know, if, if he didn't have to get up, he could sleep through it. And so, yeah, I similarly wasn't totally prepared for how much I really was going to be um, the one doing a lot of different pieces. And so, um, yeah, for, I mean, for my partner and I, it, it did take some um, discussion and negotiation around like what it was going to look like for him to be able to do more and take more of the tasks. And what did it really look like for us to try to get to 
to 50, 50. Um, and, and this is something that I hear a lot from, from the women on our platform as well. And, you know, whether you're trying for 50, 50, or, you know, you're doing, you know, a hundred percent and you actually just need them to take 5%. Um, a lot of women struggle with that conversation with a partner. Uh, how do you ask for help? And women feel guilty. He's working all day. He comes home. He's exhausted. I don't want to ask him. I feel like I, you know, I, I shouldn't, I should be able to be doing all of this. Um, but the reality is that, that you're going to be burned out. If you do, if you do hundred percent, your partner has to do some help and it's okay to ask. And sometimes we have to ask over and over again. Um, they don't necessarily, the partner doesn't really get it the first time or they don't they don't really internalize it or they don't sort of get into a habit. So you might have to ask again and again and again to try to get your partner sort of into that habit and into the routine of like what it's going to look like to share some of this, this responsibility. Yes. Oh, I love that you talked about that. I feel like women take on so much and they are so terrible at asking for help. And part of that is feeling like, well, he can't do it. He doesn't know what to do. And this kind of bleeds into a conversation that we had had on the podcast a couple of weeks back around, you know, communicating with your partner and, you know, how important that really is to a marriage. And for me, I'm used to kind of taking care of things on my own, being very independent. And I think a lot of women are like this where they don't really know how to ask for help. Uh, I love that your business helps coach women through that process. But like, for example, my sister, she is, you know, very independent, very successful doctor, alpha female, all these things. Right. And for her, I had to say, look, being a mom is going to bring you to your knees in terms of really getting you to understand that it's truly not for one person to do. And for me also, I initially could not ask for help from my mother-in-law, from anybody, because I just felt like it's my job. I can do it, but then I couldn't do it all. And I think that's where having kind of this like mom tribe and all that stuff is so important as well, because instead of women appearing as like, as if they're perfect and have it all together, there's real support and importance and value and having female friends that you can be like, I am really struggling, or this is so tough or being able to just text a friend about it. And I would encourage women out there to find women that they feel comfortable with, whether it's through a mommy and me or, you know, something when, especially in those super early days, but kind of in general. And, you know, my one thing I'd say is like, it's okay to be perfectly imperfect. It's okay to be like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I'm so exhausted or, you know, say something about your husband. And it's like, women have to really lean on each other because it's like this unique experience that only moms can truly understand. And, um, I guess what are your sentiments around community or the importance of leaning on other moms? Yeah, I, I would say a, a pretty strong theme that I see among moms who are having a really hard time is, is being alone, doing it alone, you know, not having help. <clears throat> um, so one of the things that we would, we would definitely encourage moms around is trying to 
make social connections. Yeah. Find a mom group in their area. Um, there's a great app called peanut. I'm not affiliated with it in any way, but you know, the peanut app allows you to connect with moms in your area. It's kind of like a dating app for moms. Um, and then, and then the other piece of like, there's that sort of community and having people to talk to and get support from, but then there's also having sort of instrumental help. Uh, and so not being afraid to, to ask, you know, family for help, um, ask your partner for help, uh, you know, looking for a nanny or, or some kind of childcare situation where you can have a little bit of a break, you know, even if it's just part-time. Um, and that's, that's one piece where I think anxiety gets in the way, right? This sort of anxiety about, well, they're not going to take care of the child, right? Or they're not going to do it the way that I would do it. Or if I'm not there, my child's going to have some kind of long-term attachment issues. Um, but the reality is that if you don't get a break, if you are completely burned out, then, you know, you're going to get to the point where you're yelling at your child or you're not able to engage or they're doing too much screen time because you're just burned out. And so being able to have a break gives you a little bit more energy and a little bit more life for those moments when you are with your child and caring for your child. So I definitely am very much pro, you know, getting help as much help as you can possibly get on board in terms of taking some of that off your own plate. I agree completely. I think the kids are super nimble. And here's an example. I just put baby London. She's 18, almost 19 months. We just put her in preschool and she, or like little daycare, whatever you'd call that. And, you know, just to get her socialized and out of the house. And she, in the first two weeks was crying, was crying quite a bit. Um, but I knew that she would adjust quickly and that it's better for her. And I didn't have guilt at all because I just, I know enough now, but getting your child in the hands of other capable, um, you know, support people is so important. Even if you're a stay at home mom, if you can't afford to even just like twice a week, three hours a day, for example, at first at whatever age you know, suits your family's needs, right? Like for every, my first two, we did, we did it later, two and a half and three years old. Um, but I just think that mom guilt, like we need to dispel it and really push ourselves to just trust that these are people with experience and your child is very flexible. And like with Charlotte, I was traveling a lot. I was not there four to five days a week for, you know, a year and a half, let's say I was there, um, on the weekends, predominantly, she has no memory. I'm going on record. She has no memory of this whatsoever. She is like, we're little best friends. Um, she's now six. And so, you know, it's go your child is very adaptable. And I agree that the anxiety really gets women to stop dead in their tracks, whether it's, um, whether it's just going to a mommy and me it's, you know, it's anxiety inducing because you're in your worst state and like, you're used to being like, you know, put together and happy. And when you're at your point, especially really close to being postpartum, you're like a mess. It's like, you just went through a war, you know, I yeah. mean, you physically are like living in this state of like barely surviving, but I would really encourage women out there to, I love that app idea. That's so God, how amazing these women come up with these ideas, but yes, find a mommy group, because I will say 
there is nothing more comforting than looking at other moms that have also slept only, you know, three hours maximum that night and their boobs are leaking and they have no makeup on and they don't even remember the last time they took a shower. Um, and you know, before they had this baby, they were always prim and proper and perfectly polished. And just to see other women, like it's just, it's so validating. It's so important to recognize that it's all part of the journey and like, it gets better quickly. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and that, I think that's a hundred percent true that like, if you are just doing it by yourself, you don't, I think a lot of women sort of feel alone. Like, am I the only one who's suffering from this anxiety? Am I the only one who feels this way or who has these horrible intrusive thoughts or who, you know, doesn't want to get up and take care of my baby. And it's like, no, there's so many other women out there. I talk to them every single day. I promise (laughs) there's a lot of them. And so just having a little bit of that, that normalization around some of those thoughts and feelings, I think is so important because I think what happens is like, you have some of these, these thoughts of like, you know, why am I not enjoying this that much? Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a good job as a mom. And then And then you have this added layer of like, I shouldn't be thinking that way, or I shouldn't be feeling that way. Um, And I I must be a terrible mom for having those thoughts. And so that added layer is really the problematic layer. It's not really the first layer, like having thoughts about not wanting to take care of your kids today is like totally fine, (laughs) totally normal. But when you have the added layer, um, that adds the guilt and the shame and the anxiety Um, And so that's where, you know, having, seeing other people and hearing other people having that same experience, like, okay, like, this is okay. This is normal. I can just keep going. And tomorrow, hopefully I'll feel a little better. For sure. By the way, I still have those thoughts every day that I don't want to take care of my kids. I'm just, just putting it out (laughs) there. Just letting everyone know. (laughs) No shame in my game. I love my kids more than anything. I'm just letting you all know though. Um, But yes, I think that, that, idea of self-judgment. Women are so hard on themselves. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how hard we are on ourselves. I always say we get paid in reverse that we get our diamonds up front, you know, when you're getting married and things, and then we put in the hard work later. And I, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, (laughs) Yes. So I also, you know, there's something else that I wanted to talk to you about. You are a highly, highly educated person and, you know, incredibly hardworking, a mom of two young kids, your kids are two and five. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you just started a business, which we were saying earlier is like essentially your third baby. Um, <laughs> so you're a very accomplished woman, uh, your mom, you are an entrepreneur. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience, kind of, if you don't mind sharing what led you to start your own company, what your experience was prior to this? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I was in the the field of, of academia, which means I was um, doing scientific research and I was studying treatments for anxiety, depression, also women's health. Um, so I was sort of adding to the scientific literature, um, which has, you know, incredible value and has its place, but I felt like what I was doing wasn't getting these treatments that we know work into the hands of the people who need them. And so I left uh, academia and I joined the world of digital digital mental health, which is relatively new, um, but there's lots and lots of sort of app-based 
things now for mental health. So I joined a company, we were working on an app um, and it was a company led and founded by men. It was an app specifically for anxiety and depression. Um, and so I came in as sort of the, the expert on anxiety and depression treatments and, um, and, you know, for three years I was there and I, I, I was able to do a lot of great things, but I really struggled getting my voice heard. I felt constantly like I wasn't being, my expertise wasn't respected. And it was so frustrating. Like there was, I was, I had so many ideas, so much stuff I wanted to do there. And I felt like I couldn't. Um, And this is, and, and now, now I've heard this from a lot of, of women in this field as well, sort of in these these high powered positions, but for whatever reason, they run up against these roadblocks where they just can't get their voice heard. Um, so I never wanted to be a CEO. I never wanted to start a company. I really didn't. Um, but when I left there, I felt like I ha- I had to, because I felt like if I was just going to join another company, you know, working alongside, you know, male executives, it was going to be the same problem. I never really was going to be fully in control and have the power to do what I wanted to do. And so, so I said, I have to do this. I have to found this company um, and then founded Prospera and really sort of found this niche with, with moms, um, which of course resonates in a personal way. Um, So that's, that's how I got there. Wow. So a lot of what you're saying, I feel like is a very important thing to discuss, which is being a high powered woman in business in male dominated fields. I grew up personally always feeling like I was equal to a man. And as my career progressed, I started to run up against, you know, just different situations where I just, for whatever reason, felt similar to what you're saying. And I don't know why that is. Why do you think women's voices are not heard, heard as equally in business? Is it we're not good at expressing ourselves? Is it boys club, like we just can't penetrate it. Like, why is it hard for women to be seen and heard and respected in business, especially kind of the higher up you go? What's your kind of um, intuition on that? I, I hate to say this because it means that there's not really much that can be done, but I I just do feel like there, and it's going to depend on who's in power and the type of people that are are in in those you know executive positions working alongside you but i just do feel like for whatever reason based on our gender we're not always believed to understand things um as well as as men or have that expertise i mean this concept of of mansplaining i think is very much aligned with that like for whatever reason men like to explain things to you as if you don't understand it and it's it, and this actually happened to me once like my phd is in um, clinical psychology, specifically anxiety disorders. So I literally studied anxiety disorders for the, you know nine years and wrote a dissertation, published over 30 papers in journals. And I had a psychiatrist say to me once, he started to explain to me some definition, I think it was panic disorder, what the definition of panic disorder was. So it's so basic. And I was like, do, do you not think I know that? Like in that, so that <laughs> kind of experience says to me that there's this, just this thing that's happening in the minds of men when they look at a woman across the table from them. And for whatever reason, they don't think they have the knowledge or expertise. They just don't give them that benefit of the doubt, which makes it really hard for them to 
trust that opinion or say like, this is a brilliant idea. Um, and so, so I hate to say that I think that's a big part of it, but I, I do think it is unfortunately. Okay. So let's keep going off that scenario. So where I think women need to do better, cause I'm in, I'm not interested in complaining. I'm interested in, in, you know, raising awareness and empowering women to step into their power in that situation, having not been there myself, I bet you didn't stand up and I'm just, it's just me. I'm not, this has nothing to do with you. I'm just saying from what I know of women, the way that we're kind of raised and just the way that we're built, I can almost guarantee you didn't say, oh yeah, I actually studied that and wrote multiple papers on this, you know, subject and actually was very, you know, advanced and da, da, da. I, you probably just sat there nodded and smiled. What, or did you actually assert yourself? I want to hear what happened. I think I, I did. I don't remember exactly what I said. I think I said something like, I know what the diagnoses of anxiety disorders are. Let's not spend our time going over that. I, I think I, I, I was pretty clear in that moment that that was not a necessary use of our time. Mostly I was worried about the time because I didn't have that much time and we were trying to get through, you know, some, some topics. Yeah. Um, and in that situation, so I did. And, I, and, and I think he backed, he backed off a little bit. I think he, he heard it. Um, and so, okay. but I don't know what the, you know, I don't know what the long-term result of that, of that interaction was, well, but I think what I'm getting at, and I'm glad you said something, but I think what I'm getting at too, is like, we are, women are not good at one fully owning our power for some reason. Like, even as we're talking about the anxiety and the self-judgment, like we beat our own selves down and we almost make ourselves small. And I think why I've been able to be so successful is because I have learned to lean into my power, to fill the space with my power and not be afraid to offend people or make myself small. I remember when I was kind of on my path uh, to rising in my former job, you know, I was knocking it out of the park. Okay. I was, but I remember I would try and like make myself small and you know, that's really bullshit. And I just, I want to call out bullshit because if you're a woman, you're powerful. If you're a mom, you're powerful. And I just see women constantly making themselves small. And I think why a lot of women have anxiety and all these different mental health issues is because they're not stepping fully into their power. And the second you start owning your power, which I know a lot of this comes through maturity as well, but I'm just saying this to give words of encouragement to women. When we make ourselves small, it's not authentic to who we really are. And that um, contradiction creates anxiety. You're not in a flow state of who, who you truly are and having a voice and saying, I actually have my PhD in this and I'm well-versed in this. I don't need a lecture from you on this and being direct with men or with anybody. I think it's like, if we're direct, we're a bitch. And I think for me, I've been able to be very successful, especially over the last couple of years and really using my voice and saying, you know, I'm here because I'm an expert in these things. You're not. And that's why we make an amazing team. Right. And like, there's a way to be, to use your voice in a way that is honest, confident, and not bitchy, but it's just succinct and direct. And I feel like that is something women do not do. We do not use our voice the way that we're meant to. And I think it causes a lot of 
feelings of like just anxiety, confusion, lack of self-confidence. So, I mean, are there any exercises women can do to really lean into their power or to like own their new identity as a mother that you work on? Um, I don't know any advice for a woman that's like struggling to like own their womanness, their motherhood, their, whether it's in business or in the home using their voice, like any tools that you think women should be using and leaning on more and more. Yeah, I, I totally agree with this like idea of trying to basically practice asserting yourself, um, practice um, you know, making your point, practice sort of disagreeing with something, you know, what somebody is saying. And I'm, I'm thinking kind of in a business context, but I think this could, this could be anywhere. Um, but that was something I had to do a lot when I was working alongside this team. I, I really, I didn't agree a lot with what the CEO would say. And so I would try to come up with ways to get my point across, make my point. And then afterwards I would feel so much anxiety um, am I being disliked? Am I overstepping my bounds? Um, they're not going to like me. And so I, but what I would tell myself is like, this is what we call an anxiety treatment. This is an exposure. You do the thing that you're afraid of. You face your fears and then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And if you're feeling anxious, that's good. You're, you're, you're supposed to be doing things that make you feel anxious because the more you do them, the more comfortable you get with them. So, so I think women often use anxiety as an indication that I've done something wrong, or I said the wrong thing, or that worry of like, what did I say? I shouldn't have said that. And then they sort of back off, but like, you want to sit with that discomfort, let it be there. It's okay to feel it and then do it again. Uh, and so it's, you sort of keep, keep practicing and you get more and more comfortable with, sort of asserting yourself, like you're saying, stepping into your power, doing something that doesn't feel comfortable and easy for you. Yes. And I think that this, a good way to practice this too, and this is even when you're a stay-at-home mom as well, is whether it's in the context of your friendships or your, like we're talking about with your spouse, which I know so many women, you know, sit there stewing with their spouse and don't use their voice, but even yeah. just practicing being honest with your friends about how you're feeling is like, it's one way to just use your voice, even if it's not directed at anyone outside of yourself, just that practice of owning how you feel and being unapologetic about it. Like it's okay. You feel like part of my French feel like shit after you just gave birth and you haven't slept in, Oh, I don't know months. I mean, come on. Like, I just feel like having on honest, raw, real conversations is so important. And it's the way you really deepen your connections and fill those voids in your life in terms of like feeling isolated, being a mom, a new mom, especially, but a mom, when your kids are like zero through three, I say you're like total, it's like such a lonely path because your child is not out in the world yet. And you're not really connecting with other parents quite yet. Um, as soon as your kids are in school and activities, all of a sudden your social circle explodes again. But you know, the first three, four years is very, can be very lonely and isolating yeah. and understandably mm -hmm. So, but I just feel like women need to, I know we're in the Instagram world and all that stuff, but I will say this. I, I get complimented all the time. And I don't understand why it shocks me every single time, but I have been told you're, I loved how authentic you were. I love how honest you are. I love how real you are. And I'm like, well, what is everyone else doing? Pretending <laughs> I don't get it. 
I just think we need to just be open and honest and stop apologizing for yourself. Actually, that's very Rachel Hollis, right? Girl, stop apologizing. Isn't that a book of hers or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I just think that if you can really be honest with people, whether it's your husband, whether it's your friends, whether it's your boss, people actually start to get to know you more and respect you more because they feel like they have an honest, real connection and a real visibility into who you are. And that's relatable, even if they don't agree yeah. with you or understand it fully. So I just, I want to encourage women to stop. You can't move into that if you're judging yourself and you're getting stuck in your own thoughts of like, pushing yourself down. It's like you're self-deprecating. Like I shouldn't be feeling this way and I shouldn't be doing this. Yes, you should. If you feel that way, it, there's a reason. And I think we need to stop suppressing that. And I think the suppression causes a lot of depression and anxiety. Instead, why don't you practice voicing it and connecting with other people that might be able to validate and empathize with what you're going through. That's what you're really missing. That's just my, I mean, I'm not a PhD in psychology, but it's just something I observe. Yep. And that's right on. I mean, that's really consistent with what we know about mental health. Um, is that expression is good. Being open is good. Feeling what you're feeling is good. Trying to suppress and get rid of it and tell yourself, don't feel that way. You know, none of that really works very well and can make things worse. Well, you said that way more succinctly, but okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you set me up for it. That was a perfect, perfect intro. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, this has been super insightful. Can you please explain to everybody where they can find you if they're interested in getting more tools in their toolkit, support community, where can people find your business and reach out to you? Yes, absolutely. So if you are looking for support, um, one of the things that we always want to make sure we we do is have openings. So we, you can get in um, literally today. Um, if you wanted to have a phone consult, um, you go to our website. It's prosperamhw.com. And that's uh, stands for Prospera Mental Health and Wellness. So prosperamhw.com. Um, you'll see a button there, book a phone consult. You just click that and then you can make an appointment. Um, we'd have a free phone consult. And then from there, you can learn more about our program and what we offer. We're available across the United States. Um, we are very, very affordable. Our lowest cost plan is about $39 per session. So the most uh, affordable kind of mental health support you could probably find aside from groups. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Andrea Niles, everybody. You are a genius. And seriously, I'm super impressed with your idea of this business and helping so many women out there that desperately need these services. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.
All right, that is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram at Kimberly Lovey and let me know your thoughts about today's show. You can screenshot this episode and let us know what your biggest takeaway was and tag me at Kimberly Lovey and we can share it on our stories. I will see you again, same time, same place next week.